You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. God, thank you so much for your word. Uh, we believe, God, that you are the creator of the universe, of everything that we see. You created us. And uh, God, we have rebelled against you, but you have made a way for us through your son to be brought back into relationship with you, to walk with you. And God, you've given us your word to read, um, your design for our lives. God, if you made us, you know it's best for us. And so Lord, we just ask that you would just help us to humble ourselves, God, and open up, open up our eyes and our hearts to what you have to say to us, God, and be ready for you to speak transformation into our lives this morning. We just thank you for all that you've given us, God. Thank you for what's going on downstairs. Uh, little kids are running around, uh, rejoicing, singing. All the volunteers that are uh, just serving them this morning and loving them. Just pray that you bless their little hearts, God. Reveal yourself to them. They're not too young, God, to know you. And we can learn so much from them. Um, so, God, we thank you for this place to meet. Thank you for this body of people that you brought together. Thank you that you made us brothers and sisters of family in you. We ask all of this. In the name of your son, Jesus. And all his people said, amen. amen. You can be seated. All right. You guys are looking very hot today. And I mean that literally. Yes. Especially you, Macker. Um, I'm, I'm hot myself. It's a little hot in here. I wish there was something that I could do about that. Uh, but I can't. So I'll try to make this as riveting as possible so you just forget about the heat. That probably won't happen. <laughs> All right, Colossians chapter 4 is where we are. You guys just want to dive in? All right, let's do it. He opens up, Colossians 4, verse 7. Here's what he says. Tychicus, it's a great name for a child, by the way, if you're expecting or thinking about it. Tychicus will tell you all about, and that is how you pronounce it, I did the, the homework on that. Tychicus. Tychicus sounds a little better. Tychicus. I don't know. Tychicus. He will tell you all about my activities. So here's where I want to start. What has Paul been doing? So he's sending back some people that are his companions with him right now. He's sending them to the church in Colossae. And he's going to tell them about everything that's happened, about all of his activities, and it says to encourage their hearts. What has Paul been doing? What has he been up to? A lot. Paul got around. Um, I got a map here for you. I want to break this down. If you've ever read through the book of Acts, and I encourage you to if you haven't, just amazing, but um, basically, majority of the book of Acts is following Paul on his missionary journeys. He went on three missionary journeys. Um, He wrote this book 20 plus years after his first, first missionary journey, after he came to Christ. Some of you know that story. Um, 20 plus years, here's what the Apostle Paul accomplished, and in reality, here's what God accomplished through Apostle Paul. If you look all the way over, it's kind of hard to see there, but look all the way over to the right, that's, that's Israel there, a little strip there out on the Mediterranean Sea. Very top corner there, just north of Israel, is Antioch. That's where Paul was first sent off with Barnabas. They went out all through Asia, to the left there, that whole section there is Asia, planted a few churches there, um, I don't know off the top of my head how many, four or five, somewhere around there. 
planted these churches, started these churches, and when they came back, instead of taking the short route across the sea, they went back the long way, all, about, all the way back around, checked in on all these churches that were beginning. So the first churches were really forming, right? After Christ rose from the dead, commanded us to go out and make disciples. Disciples are being made. Comes back, goes on a second missionary journey with Barnabas, goes even farther, jumps across the Aegean Sea. See it up there? Goes into Greece, plants a bunch of churches there. Corinth, we get the book Corinthians, is from there. Does all that stuff. Comes back. The third time he goes all the way through Greece again, checks on a lot of the churches, continues building those churches, comes all the way back. And then he ends up actually on his way back, getting arrested when he gets back, and he's taken to Rome where he's put in prison. This is where he wrote Colossians. So he's an old man now, 20 plus years later, and he's in a Roman prison, and he's writing this letter to the church. Here's what just struck me as, um, as I've just been thinking about all that happened throughout Paul's lifetime. The first thing is this. 20 years is not that long of a time, right? 20 plus years. I've been alive for 38 years, and I have not accomplished even close to what Apostle Paul has accomplished. That's okay. Maybe I'm going through a midlife crisis. I don't know. But I'm just saying, that's crazy. You're talking about all these churches being started and forming and growing. Um, all this stuff happening. These are the, this is the fruit of his ministry, the guys that he's sending back. Paul did this through the work of the Holy Spirit. We see times where he was going and he said, I want to go somewhere. I'm going to go off here, bring the gospel because I'm, I'm passionate about going there. And the Holy Spirit literally said, no, you're not going to go there. I want you to go this way. So he went the other way. You see him experiencing intense persecution, getting beaten, flogged. One time he got stoned, and they just left him for dead. And then he got back up and walked. didn't go on vacation. He walked back into the city. <laughs> hey, what's up, you guys? This is all you guys got? <laughs> all right, here's the gospel. So Paul had a lot of energy. He was a, he was a fighter. But ultimately, it was the Holy Spirit that worked through him. Now, one guy, God uses one guy to accomplish all of that through the Holy Spirit. Look, at, look around this room. How many people are in this room? In, in the little city of Portland, what could he accomplish? I think most of us are just thinking like, eh, probably not that much. Would I, like, would I like that to happen? Would I like awesome things to happen? Yes, but I just don't feel like it will. And yet look what God did through this one man, and he's continued to do that throughout history. Beginning of Colossians, here's what Paul says to them. You might remember this a little reflection. This is the last uh, sermon in the series of Colossians. It's a little sad. Um, but we're going to be starting a, a new series coming up a couple weeks. And the sadness will go away. At least for me. I guess I'm the only one that's sad. Some of you are like, we're in Colossians? <laughs> Sweet. Um, anyway. Colossians. Here it says in uh, verse 5. He's opening up the letter to them. It says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you and is indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Paul's saying the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. You, like, don't you love that seed terminology? By the way, the, the church that Sean is planting is called Seed. I love that. That metaphor the Bible uses over and over. It's a seed. You plant a seed. See, have you seen a seed, how small it is? And yet, these amazing things grow out of a seed, and it multiplies. Pretty soon, you have this lush, huge garden. Paul's saying that the Word of God is bearing fruit. It's growing. Like, it's growing these trees and 
lush fruit is coming off of these trees, all from this little seed called the gospel that God's planted. He says, and it's doing it among you. Think about us at Red Sea right now. What's the vision of Red Sea? Christ, community, culture. Ultimately, though, like what is it? it? This is what it is. If I could just tell you in one sentence, is that the gospel would bear fruit and grow right where we are. And guess what? Not St. John's, even like Portland is too small of a vision, you guys. We're, we're talking like Southern California. We're talking the world. God can do that. It's amazing, you guys. Um, and so, here's, here's what I want to show you. I, was, I went to uh, something yesterday, and this guy was speaking, and, uh, and he, he gave this illustration. I thought it was pretty awesome. He compared churches. Let me just give you a couple statistics first before I do this. Check this out. This is the reality, especially in North America. 3,750 churches close per year. 1,300 new ones open. So that's like two steps forward, three steps back. Two steps forward, we're not going anywhere. Roughly half of all churches did not add one new person through conversion in the past year. So they may have added tons of new people, but they weren't lost people coming to know Christ and their life being transformed. It was Christians swapping churches because they like the show better at a different one. It takes 85 Christians in one year to produce one convert. And lastly, only 4% of churches start another new church. And by the way, some of you might be thinking, we're planting another Red Sea. We're not planting another church. We, only have, we don't even have 100 people here. That's not too small to plant another church. In my humble opinion, if you have 10 people, you can plant a church. Because the point's not how big your church gets, right? It's how many people's lives are being transformed by the gospel. Can I get an amen on that, if you agree with that? You got 10 people, man. You want to plant another one? Plant another one. Because statistically, most conversions happen through church plants. Because something new and fresh is happening. What tends to happen when you're not planting churches is you become this little family of fun, you enjoy each other, and then you become stuck in your ways, old, and pretty soon you become this old, crusty church, right? Check this out. There's two kinds of churches. This is what I heard yesterday. An elephant and a rabbit church. Here's the difference between these. Check out these statistics. This is true. This is the mating season for an elephant, talking about reproduction here, talking about sex today. It's going to be exciting. The mating season is short for females, are only able to conceive for a few days each year. So just a couple of days each year they're able to conceive. So the guy's got to be on their game, right? The gestation period, how long they carry the baby, 20 to 22 months. And the will only have one. Okay, how many elephants are you going to have in a 20-plus period of time? Probably not that many. Now, rabbits, on the other hand... Check these little guys out. We use them analogies for a reason. The normal gestation period of a rabbit, how long it carries the baby? 30 days. The average size of the litter varies, but it's usually 4 to 12 babies. A baby rabbit can be weaned in about 4 to 5 weeks. This means in one season, a single female rabbit can produce as many as 800 children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. A doe is ready to breed at about six months of age. 
So do the math on that. I mean, that's crazy. Check this out. Courtship and mating are very brief, lasting 30 to 40 seconds. It's like, hey, can I buy you dinner? Oh, wait. You know what I mean? It's like, we're doing this, all right. Um, 30 to 40 seconds. Crazy. So here's my point in this, okay? The rabbit reproduces, 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 reproduces. The elephant is slow. It's not able to produce. Here's the church. The churches that are the elephants aren't able to, to reproduce. They just, they stay, reach 100 people. They call that the first wall to get through. Reach 100 people, and that's it. Now, we're not talking about how big the church gets. We're talking about replicating the church. What God's doing here begins to be done in Ventura or wherever else. Like, we're breaking off, and we, we want more people to come to Christ. And yet, so most churches are in that state. We're, uh, we're in danger of becoming in that state. No one's immune to that. We could all be here for the next 80 years, have a great time singing songs, and, and then, you know, we die and somebody else uses the building if it's still standing, right? So here's what I want to kind of unpack today, and I don't, Paul's basically just saying goodbye in this passage, saying farewell. There's a few things that we're going to touch on in this. Um, I don't want to use this as a springboard for whatever I want to talk about, but this is the end. Paul is sitting here in prison at the end of his ministry, and look at the things God has done. Look at the reproduction that's happened through Paul's ministry, like the reason that we're here today. And people like Paul, churches like these churches that want to keep reproducing. I think ultimately it's just, it's a mindset. Like, if you want to plant one church, no, Sean's not thinking this way. I want to plant one church. Oh, I planted a church. Let's grow it. Guess how many churches you're going to have in the next 40, 50 years, one church. But if you say, I'm going to plant 10 churches, do you think your mindset's going to be different going in when you plant the church? The decisions that you make, the way you lead people are going to be different. Because you're like, I don't, this is just starting. We don't want it to end here. We want more churches. It's all about, I think it's about our kingdom mindset. I'm as guilty of this as anyone. Um, we just got some chickens. We got three chickens. They're inspired, inspired by Nathan Conant. I was at his house one day and his son, Osias, runs in with this egg and it puts it in the refrigerator. They're going to eat it later. And I'm like, that is just awesome. So I just mentioned it to my family. And then the next thing I know, my wife was calling me at work. She's like, we're at the chicken store right now getting some chickens. <laughs> Should we get two or three? I'm like, oh, I don't know, three. One of them turned out to be a rooster. So you're not allowed to have those, apparently, even though our neighbor has one. And it does cock-a-doodle-doo all day long. Uh, so we're learning about the chicken thing. Now, here's the thing. It's going to be sweet, dude, when we have all these eggs. Because I like eggs, right? We're going to be eating these eggs. And, uh, but ultimately, like, if we lost the chickens, if they died or something, our cat killed them, whatever, I don't know. Something happened to them, would we starve? I'll just, no, I'll go to Safeway and buy some eggs. You know? It's going to be sweet to have free eggs. Do I need them? Not necessarily. It's going to be fun. Give them out to our neighbors. Good ministry. Um, do I need to, to kill those chickens and eat them? No. I can go down and buy a rotisserie chicken. Safeway. Scarf it down. So chickens are fun. They're an addition to my life. I like them. Now, imagine some kid in Africa in a poor village has nothing. Very, very hard to even get food. And go over there and give him three chickens. Now, how do you think he's going to handle those chickens? Do you think he'll handle them differently than me? And let's throw it out there. Let me ask you a question. Just feel free to speak up. How is he going to deal with those chickens differently than I would deal 
with the three chickens? Throw some things out there. What kind of things are he going to different? What kind of plans is he going to have? Protect them very carefully. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're going to be more central, more important to him on his mind. Yep. It's going to let the eggs hatch. Yeah. Let's have some live chickens. You won't forget to feed them like my kids do? Yes. Cautious about who comes around him. Yeah. Going to make sure he's got like a chicken coop sealed off so no wolves can get him. So you have the point, right? Why is, because of his situation, he's going to think of those chickens completely differently. To him, that's his life. Those three chickens are, are like a huge part of his life. they arguably his life. For me, they're just a nice, fun thing to do, right? I live in Portland, and all my neighbors have chickens, so why not? You know what I mean? Culturally relevant. I got some chickens. They're fun. I like eggs. You know what I mean? Seriously. That's what I think. Here's where I'm going with this. That's what I think the mindset is for us many times, is we're like me with the chickens and when we go to church, right? We come. That was good. It's a nice show. I believe it all. It's nice. But we're not really concerned about the future. I'm not concerned about what if those chickens die? What if Red Sea Church dies? Well, I'll just find a different one. There's some other good ones around, right? What if, you know, those eggs don't hatch? What if something kills those chickens? You know, like that's, that's his life. It's his livelihood. For us, it's just kind of like, eh, this is awesome. I love it. And when it's not going well, I can just blame all the leaders because they're, you know what I mean? There's, they're, it's their job to do everything. And if it doesn't grow, then it's their fault. And I can name six reasons why. Or, is it possible for the kingdom of God to be like those three chickens or the poor kid in Africa? Jesus seems to think it can. You guys know the parables? Like a pearl of great price, the kingdom of God. Right? Somebody sold all he had and buried it just to have that. Is that, is that how you feel about the kingdom of God? Do you care about multiplication? Check this out. He says... I have sent Tychicus to you for this very purpose. Why is he sending him? Verse 8, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So the whole reason that he's sending them is to tell them what's happening and so that their hearts will be encouraged. When Sean was sharing about what was happening in Ventura, was your heart encouraged? Were you just like, I'm really encouraged about what's happening there. Like, I can't wait to hear the stories of new people that are coming to Christ. Did it encourage your hearts? It, if it didn't, it didn't, you know? Let's not lie to ourselves. Did that encourage your hearts like something else might? Maybe not. When you hear about other things happening in the kingdom, does it encourage your heart? When we talk about something that we're going to try to do, or your missional community is talking about something, that, that people could, relationships could be built, and somebody could come to Christ, does that encourage your heart? Or why doesn't it? I think it's because we don't have that kingdom mindset. So, I just want to touch on a couple things today. What are a couple things we can glean from this passage that would help us in that? Because that's where we need to be. We really do. And if we're not there, either we're not really a believer in Jesus Christ, and we're just faking it, or we're just not. We don't care who knows it. (laughs) Or, there's just something wrong. We're not at the state of maturity we need to be. The gospel's not growing and bearing fruit in our life, like in in our heart, like it's supposed to. So check this out. Says, I'm sending you Tychicus. What does he say about him? He's a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. What does he say about Onesimus? 
Verse 9, he's our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. So, he says of Tychicus an interesting word. He says he's a beloved brother. That means he's family. He loves him. We're doing this together as a family. If we don't love each other and we're not brothers and sisters, we're not going to accomplish anything. If just one of us is out there busting their butts, that's great. How does multiplication happen? When 50, 100 people are all feeling the same thing, right? And walking with the Spirit and trying to reach out to those around them. That's how it happens. Beloved brother, he's a faithful minister. The word minister means servant. He's faithfully serving. He's not going to stop just because it gets hard. By the way, Paul's in prison. A couple guys are in there with him. So, you know, when the guy that you're following is chained up in prison and you're still stoked and you're bringing back news to the church. Okay, there you go. But here's the last thing he says. He is a servant in the Lord. Some of your Bibles, if you have the ESV, there's a little note next to it. And you drop down to the bottom of your Bible, and it says, in the Greek, it's fellow bond servant. And literally, in the Greek, it's, the word is doulos, and it's the word slave. The reason it's not translated that way is because of the negative connotation slavery has for us, because slavery is much different in the Greco-Roman world than it is in, in the, you know, when we first hear it, what comes to our mind is much, much different and oppressive and unjust. In the Greco-Roman world, a slave was, you'd see, if you're walking down the street, you don't know if there's a, someone's a slave or not a slave. They all mingled together. Slaves got to walk around. They lived with their master. A lot of times they were the steward of the house. They were put in charge of things. They weren't like chained up. They weren't beat, all those kind of things. I mean, I'm sure that did happen occasionally, but generally speaking, you know. But here's the thing about a slave is they were, they had no life of their own. They completely gave over all their hopes, dreams, aspirations, anything they want to do, that's the end of it. I mean, if the master tells them they can do something great because he tells them. They're completely indebted. They're in bonds, bondservant, to the master, as long as that contract is, whatever that is. Their, their, their life, when they wake up in the morning, and every second of that day is to serve the master and do whatever the master tells them to do. That's what a slave was. He says this of... Tychicus, he says, he is my fellow slave. So Paul thinks he's a slave in the Lord. Slave in the Lord. Then he says a little bit later about Epaphras, verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant, which is also the word slave. Epaphras, who is one of you, a slave of Christ Jesus, greets you. Always struggling on your behalf. Um, you might be surprised at how often the apostles and the Writers of the New Testament refer to themselves as slaves. Um, There's a new book out by John MacArthur called Slave, where he, it's one of the few books about this, but he actually unpacks this throughout the whole book. It's really fascinating. Um, The number one way that Christians in the New Testament identified themselves, the number one word that they used was the word doulos, which is slave. So predominantly not, you know, I'm a friend of Jesus, or some of the things that we use, which are all true predominant way they saw themselves and their identity was I'm a slave to Christ. And it wasn't like, oh shoot, I'm in the bonds of Christ now. Oh well, I might as well just, <laughs> I mean I got no choice, so I might as well follow him. They, they were a slave to sin. Everyone in the Bible says is a slave to sin. Try to stop sinning this week. Let me know how that goes next week. It's your, that's your master. Jesus has released us from that, brought us out of that, and, just, and he bought us with a price, which is slave terminology. And we are a slave of Jesus Christ. 
And they joyfully, willingly and joyfully called themselves slaves. Almost like they were, they were proud of it. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. Check out these letters. This is how they start their letters. Romans 1.1, Paul, a slave of Christ, called to be an apostle. Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. Titus 1.1, Paul, a slave of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. James 1.1, James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1.1, Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. Jude 1.1, Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his slaves the things that must soon take place. We're used to hearing servants. It's the word slaves. So, how would that change your identity, the way you think of your relationship with Jesus Christ? Here's the deal, you guys. If that bothers you, then, number one, it's true, so you've got to deal with it. I'm not making this stuff up. Please double check. <laughs> um, if that bothers you, then you need to do some soul-searching. You know, why does it? Because these guys were, like, happy to tell you. Um, hey, Dear church, this is Billy, a slave of Jesus Christ. I just want to remind you, we're all slaves of Jesus Christ. He is our master. We're in his bonds. I don't have a choice what I do anymore. All the things that I wanted to do in my life, I want to do this. These are my dreams, all these things. No more. Jesus, what do you want to do? The cool thing about God is he's full of grace and mercy, and he uses some of those things. To Sean gets to read his Bible on the beach. Praise God. He's a good God. I mean, you know? But God chose to give him that, and that's part of who he is. Do I? I, I wouldn't mind reading my Bible on the beach. I'm not going to surf, though. He's actually going to enjoy surfing, not me. Stay away from the ocean in that sense. I just watched the movie where the girl got her arm bit off by the shark. And, uh, and my brother's friends with her, by the way, so it's a true story. Um, stay away from the ocean, man. I want to do it. Now, God could call—now, as a slave of Christ, he may call me to do that, and I would have to, but— Here's the deal, you guys. It's they're joyful and willing slaves of Christ. So I just want you to just think about that because we really don't think about it that way. Servant really doesn't carry the same connotations. And, and it's hard because if we translated that as slave immediately, it would be misinterpreted in our minds. And that's not the point, Bible translation. We're slaves of Christ. Have you thought about that? If I ever get a tattoo, that's what it's going to be. Slave. So you guys know. As soon as I get some money to do it. Um, all these rich people with tattoos, you know what I mean? What's the deal here? Sean, man, you must be rich. Um, anyway, so, getting off track here. So, I think that's something that we need to take to heart, you guys, is, is we're like, why, why is this not happening? Why do I not feel this way? Maybe we haven't got our identity in Christ right, that my life is transferred now to Christ. What does Jesus want for your life? Do you, have you thought about it? Do you really care? Have you went and go, Master, what do you want me to do? Maybe there's something he wants you to do that you don't even know about yet, like something crazy, like go to Ventura with Sean. He's called some people we're going to pray for pretty quick here. But you don't know because you're not even asking him. He's not going to force it on you. It's not like that. He wants you to realize what he's done for you, that you've been bought with a price, and he wants you to be joyful. Guys, if God didn't want you to be a joyful, willing servant, it wouldn't have went down like it went in the Garden of Eden. He would have just been like, you are robots, I will change your program settings, and you will always obey me. He gave him a choice. He wants, he wants you to love him like he loves you. You've got to think about that. It goes on. 
talks about a few guys here, and we're just going to touch on a couple of these guys before we end here. First two guys he talks about, we know a little bit about some of them. Tychicus and Onesimus. Onesimus is what the book of Philemon is about. You may not realize that. The entire book of Philemon, the whole one page of it, is about Onesimus. This, Onesimus was a runaway slave, and he, Paul met him in Rome, and he came to Christ and became a slave of Jesus Christ. Paul's sending him back with joy to his owner, who apparently is a believer as well, in the Colossian church. So the two guys, these two guys are faithful. We're going to see a guy who bails on the mission, but comes back, and he's redeemed. We're going to see a guy who completely abandons Christ and the entire kingdom for the world. And we're going to see a guy who Paul is exhorting, don't quit on the ministry. First two guys are faithful. Guess where they are? Next to Paul in a prison. <laughs> I mean, they're experiencing persecution. That's what faithfulness gets you. Aristarchus, verse 10, my fellow prisoner greets you. And by the way, Paul often refers to himself as a prisoner for Jesus Christ, which is interesting, the slave concept. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Here's a, there's a cool sideline story about Mark. We know a few things about him. And I'm not going to go into it for the sake of time today. I'm not going to go to all the passages. I'll just tell you, look them up later. Um, in Mark chapter 13, actually, I've got to read this to you because it's hilarious. Check this out. Mark chapter 13. We'll fly through these. There we go. We're just flying through these right now. Wow. Okay. I can't find it. Wow. I thought I knew what it was. Hold on. There we go. Mark chapter 14, actually. Verse 51. So Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, a story we all know. Check this out. It's kind of random. So he ends that section by saying in verse 49, Day after day, uh, Jesus is saying, I was in the temple with you, teaching, and you did not seize me, but let Scripture be filled. And they all left him and fled. And then it says, And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Amen. So, most scholars believe that was Mark, and he was modestly referring to himself. Uh, that's not a good, that, that's got to be a tough situation, dude. You know what I'm saying? Wow. Okay, now, in Acts chapter 14, let me just do this really quickly here. Acts chapter 13, I believe. Let me double check and make sure. Yes. So, Saul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas are being sent out on the missionary journeys, Right? Verse 5 of uh, chapter 13 in Acts says, When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them, which is Mark, John Mark, which we'll see later. So he went along with them as their partner. This missionary journey, this is key, this is huge. And then in verse 13, Now Paul and his companions set out from Paphos and came to Perga Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So we might think, well, maybe he had good reasons for leaving, you know. Maybe somebody got sick and he had to leave, whatever. Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas are ready to go out on their second missionary journey. And it says this. I'll just read this from verse 36. 
And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of God to see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. He was his cousin. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had, gone, and had not gone with them to their work. And there arose such a sharp, a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. So, this was not cool. <laughs> okay? Mark abandoned them on their mission. This is like, they're in it, man. Mark jets. Paul's like, I'm not taking that guy with me. Forget that. So Barnabas takes him. Okay, so we see hope of redemption coming. Now check this out at the end of the book of Philemon. Uh, here's what Paul says about him. Man, I should have had these ready. Philemon's hard to find because it's like one page, dude. You know what I mean? Amen? You guys with me? To walk amongst yourselves. Okay. Maybe we won't turn there. Philemon, where? Oh, there it is. Gotcha. Thank you. Philemon, check it out. Paul says, at the end, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, interesting, sends greetings to you, and so does Mark, Aristarchus, Demos, and Luke, my fellow workers. So Mark is a fellow worker. Back a couple pages of 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verse 8. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demos, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Christines has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. So people are abandoning him. Luke alone is with me. And then he says this, Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Amen? Alright, success story. Check it out, you guys. One guy is redeemed by God, the grace of God. He becomes... Useful for Paul in ministry. Another guy, Demos, who's mentioned in our passage, abandons it because he's in love with this world. Here's what I want, to, want you to know about these two things, these two guys. Is that if we do decide we want to be a willing and joyful slave of Jesus Christ, we want to engage in kingdom ministry where that becomes the pearl of great price for us, the greatest joy of our hearts, is that people's lives are transformed and continue to multiply and be transformed, God's kingdom on the earth. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be glamorous. It's not going to be, you know, this, this fun, exciting, entertaining thing that you sign up for. It's difficult, you guys. And guys are jumping ship. I want you to know if you do, if you're feeling that way right now or you felt like you have, if there's hope for Mark, there's hope for you guys. It's a beautiful story. But there's also the tragedy and the reality that we can abandon the faith. People have done it before. I've I watched someone do it. A guy that... I don't recommend street evangelism necessarily as effective, but I used to do that a long time ago. This guy would take me out, and we would just go up to people and just like flat out share the gospel with them. It's like the radical way of doing it, but not effective. But you feel really good about yourself because you did it. But this guy, man, was like on fire for Christ. He was like a total example to me. He completely rejected Christ. I sat down with him, talked it through him. He's just like, I, I do not even believe God is real. I want nothing to do with Christ. He's divorced from his wife now. Had an awesome Christian marriage, I thought. And he's just like living it up, doing whatever he wants in the world. It just like absolutely blows my mind. I watched the uh, first mission trip I went on to India. My, uh, Tara and I had just got married, so we went on this trip, and our ministry team leader 
this uh, girl was like, totally looked up to her, almost like a spiritual mentor, right? And uh, two years later, we asked someone, hey, how's she doing? What's she up to? Oh, she's a lesbian now. Completely reject, directed Christ in the church, wants, wants nothing to do with it. She's just living her life. I'm just like completely floored. Like if you knew this girl, you would not imagine that happening. So I just want you to know that, guys. If we, if we decide we're going to do this, and if we don't decide we're going to do this, then we probably just should shut the doors, let somebody else do it. But God is calling us. He's redeemed us. He's made us his possession and bought us with a price to send us out into this world. And God cares about multiplication, not because he wants to have a big church, because he wants people to come to Christ. If we're just sitting here in these walls and these doors, Nothing's happening but here, and we're all happy when visitors come in. Let's see how we can keep them here by bringing brownies to their house and being nice to them and smiling. Maybe they'll stay, which we want to do. I mean, you know, we're not total, like, mean people, but we want visitors to come. We're glad you're here, by the way. (laughs) Don't leave. Um, But it's not... It's not necessarily going to be this glamorous, exciting thing where I agree with everything that happens. And I agree with everything that leaders decide. We've got to be in it together. We've got to say, I'm a slave of Jesus, and I'm happy to be that. Let's get on it. How do we do that? Here's how I want to end. I know it's hot in here. One thing I want to touch on is he says this, because we can't hit everything. Verse 12. Epaphras, who actually was the elder of Colossian church, now he's with Paul. Who is one of you, a slave of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those on Laodicea and Heropolis. Check out what it says. Struggling on behalf in his prayers for you. The word is, in the Greek, we get the word agonize from. It's the word used of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's agonizing in prayer for you all the time. Are you, do you agonize in prayer for anyone? Like, I mean, you would think if the things that we're talking about right now that are going, some of us right past us, and we're like, see you next week, Billy. That was nice. It's like an awesome recipe sent down from heaven for the best food ever, and we get it already, but we don't put it in the oven. We need it. We're supposed to do this. we don't do this, what are we doing here? So, agonizing in prayer. If you were, if you had this mindset and you, and you cared about multiplication, don't you think you'd be praying for people? Don't you think you'd be praying for your neighbors? Sean just shared about his neighbor. Do you think you might be agonizing a little bit for certain people? Why aren't we? Because we don't have the mindset. It's like the three chickens that I have. It's like an extra thing, and it's nice, and I, and I do really like it. And, you know, I, I'm pretty into it. But it's not my life. And I don't want multiplication to happen. I don't want to see lives transformed. And so I'm going to criticize all, the things, all these things going on. Here's Epaphras agonizing in prayer over him. For what? That they might stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. What does it mean to be mature? What does it mean to be mature? Here you go, guys. This is how I want to end. I, if any, you remember anything today, please just remember this. A lot of us are sitting here, and I do it too, and we're like, 
I want to be mature in Christ. I want Red Sea to grow. But we're not doing anything. Like, I don't even know what the vision is. Right? What are we doing? Is, is like, Soma coming in? Oh, cool. Soma's going Soma's to make us mature. Soma's going to give us what we need. Oh, crap, that didn't work out. Or maybe it is. I don't even know. No one's telling me. I'm so mad I'm leaving. You know, maybe this other church has something that's going to do that. Here's what I want you guys to hear today. And, like, I believe this with all my heart, and maybe I'm wrong, but it's not as difficult as you might think it is for this to happen, for the Spirit to work mightily through us and see lives transformed. Here's what it is, that we would be mature in Christ. Check out uh, Colossians chapter 3. We've been reading about it. just as a random example. Colossians 3.12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Do you have a compassionate heart? Compassion means to suffer with. You like care desperately about people who are in need. If you don't have that, there's a good place to start. I'm not going to give you anything else until you're doing that. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Are you being patient? Are you being kind to people? Are you humble? Bearing with one another. Here's where it gets personal. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive one another. Is there someone that you need to forgive that you can't forgive? Guess what my vision is for your life? Go forgive that person, and then we'll move to the next thing. Here's my point in this. Royce always talks about this. We don't move on from the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything we read about in here that, that he tells us to do, the vision Jesus had for his apostles and for the church to make disciples, that's the vision. There's nothing else. Like, I know some of you that might be discouraging and bad news, but I'm here to tell you, before God Almighty, there's nothing else. <laughs> this is it. If we're not forgiving each other, why would I tell you what a vision is or a strategic steps to do what we're like we're not even united we hate each other you guys with me why would we do anything else that's the gospel we can't do that we're we're hopeless nothing's going to happen if i don't have compassion let the peace of christ rule in your hearts are you anxious do you not have the peace of god let's start there that's god's vision for your life right now how do you achieve peace in christ you having trouble saying that you're a slave of Christ? That bothers you? I, I just don't feel like I'm at that level yet. There you go. You know what I mean? It sounds like a cop-out, but, and I've, believe me, I wrestled over this this whole week, and I was like, you know what I mean? We need leaders in the church, and we do need to give them a vision and, and, and give people visuals and get them excited about it, blah, blah, blah. Like, some of that's true, okay? But it's not about the paid pastors doing it. You guys, all of us together at the church, it doesn't matter if we pay any pastors. Why, why should the church close down? We're not paying somebody to, to be the pastor. All of us together are the church. If we're not becoming the church, if we're not living the church, then there is no church. It's possible for us not even to be a church right now. I mean, I'm going to be so bold as to say that. I'm not saying that that's where we're at. But I'm saying we've got we to think about that. So you've got to be with other believers engaged in life, learning how to love each other, if you can't do that, then that's what we're doing. Here's the thing, you guys. What if we actually did this? What do you think would happen? Do you think the gospel might start bearing fruit and growing? And then we'd be like, how did that happen? It must have been God doing it. Like, just think about that for a second. I'm just like pleading with you right now. Because I can, and I'm up here. And you have to listen to me. 
so we lock the doors. What if we actually lived this way and let the gospel transform us and we realize there's nothing past the gospel? So stop looking for an excuse, stop dreaming about some other thing. It's the cross of Jesus Christ saved you from your sins and wants to keep saving you, transforming you by that same gospel. I guarantee you guys, like, there's no doubt in my mind if that really happened, we all took that seriously and started that journey, that we would see unbelievable things start to happen. I just, I really believe that. The Spirit, dude, when the Spirit comes in, and it's like, that guy's got secrets, they're in sin, they can't forgive that person, this person's making excuses, this person's bitter, heart. he's just kind of like, I don't got anything to work with, man. Now, sometimes God will just come down and do it anyway. But when all of a sudden we're united and we begin to take this stuff seriously, then I believe the Spirit begins to work and things happen. Here's what I want you to do. I was going to pass out pens and have you guys write this all down. I did this exercise yesterday. Think in your head, as we wrap up today, we're going to pray for the Ventura team. Think in your head, like the top 20, or if you can only think of 10, closest relationships in your life. Just close your eyes right now. Just think about that. Who are the top? Just go down the list. Who are the top 10 closest relationships in your life? And if you can think of 20, then keep going. Okay, now in your mind, put a plus sign next to all of those people that are Christians. Stick a plus sign next to their names. Go through their names. Okay, now put a minus sign next to all the ones that are not Christians. So, here's what this gets us thinking about. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand had a lot, a heck of a lot of plus signs. Or maybe like all plus signs. How many had a few minus signs? Here's the deal, you guys. For me, man, I took, I, I did this the other day, somebody walked me through this exercise, and I was like, I got way too many pluses going on. It was like really humbling. Guys, we can't, we can't reach the world unless we're living with non-believers, doing life with them, being relational. Here's the point. We can't sit inside these closed doors and these walls. We can't just sit in here as good as the music might be. I don't really think it's that good, but Maybe it is. I'm just being humble right now because Colossians says to. If it is, then Macker and Brent and these guys make it good. But even if the music is awesome and we're loving it and we're singing, those are all good things and we're caring about each other. Unless we're like in the world living with people, like how can we expect anything to happen? They, they're not going to know. So we've got we to gotta change our entire mindset. Guys, we, God wants to multiply this. I really believe that he does. And it might not be this becoming 6,000 people. It might be people spread out all over and churches being planted. Ventura might have six church plants by next year. I don't know. You guys with me on this? Paul says, I write this with my own hand in chains. He's a prisoner of Christ. He's saying, I'm not telling you anything that I'm not doing. I'm living it. I'm writing this with my hand in chains for Jesus Christ. And he's pleading with the church. He's pleading with us this morning. Um, I want to end today before we sing a little bit. I know it's hot in here, and I do apologize for that. But uh, we're going to have the Ventura team come up. Sean's coming up, and the De Palmas, Sasha, and Elaine. Just like you guys that come up here, 
we're a family. And uh, would you just stand up as our parent? If God leads you, I'd love for as many of you as possible just to come up. We're just going to lay hands on them. We're going to do this with excitement because there's an opportunity that new lives are going to come to know Jesus through this church plant. And we're sending it. If you think that Sean just left to plant a church and some other people are leaving with him, that's not what's happening. We're sending the Ventura team, okay? We're, gonna, we're excited, and we're going to be waiting to hear stories about what God's doing. It's just, and um, just give just maybe a couple people. We won't go all day, but just a few of you feel led. You can just pray out for them, and I'll wrap us up. And let's, just, let's just pray over them and send our very best. Right. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.